Well, it has been an interesting season, hasn't it? It's re- it has been an interesting season. I was doing some research this week on some of the effects of COVID and one of the things that came up was that um, 31% of Australians are actually concerned about the economy, concerned about their personal finances to the point where they would say they are stressed and anxious. And uh, what I found most interesting, I, I didn't think that was any sort of great revelation, by the way. What I found most interesting was the last time I researched that was 2018. And it was actually 33% in 2018. Which sort of tells me this, that no matter what the season, people tend to be concerned about their finance. There's always about a third of us. Now, one of the differences in the COVID season is if you're self-employed, your potential to be stressed about your finances is actually 47% if you're self-employed. So, uh, you know, obviously this has, this whole season has brought pressure in, in that sense. And, uh, and I thought it would be timely to talk about, once again, finances. And how we honour God with our finances. Because when I look at those statistics for a start, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't change. There's never a good or a bad time to talk about money and God. You will remember, and, and I had to think about this, when was the last time I spoke about this topic? I actually spoke, I think it was, it was April, it was very early 2020 when this all started happening you might remember I went online and I did a message just encouraging you and basically taking pressure off because of the uncertainty of COVID we don't know what's coming next please just do what you got to do if you've got finance then be faithful with it if you're struggling with your finance then maybe you need to readjust your trajectory who can remember that The last time I taught on finances the way that I am about to today was 2018. Which I think is funny because people say, don't they? The church just always talks about money. (laughs) The funny thing about that, it really gets me the irony. It's like the world will say that to the church as if it doesn't talk about money. Every time you turn on a screen, people are asking you for money. In our world, in our society. Is that not true? Yeah. And, uh, and the fact is, while our world continues to encourage people to borrow money, to buy things that they can't afford, then I don't think our world has got anything to say in this space to, to God's people. But I think that we need to consider what we do with our resources And honour God with that in the same way that we honour him with our time, our efforts and our talents. So is it okay? Can I go there? I'm sort of getting a bit of permission here today. Jason's leaning in going, yes, yes, let's get off the thumbs bit. Okay, some dad jokes work, some don't. Okay. Uh, The fact is, surrendering and submitting our resources to God is a major theme of Scripture. As a matter of fact, 16 of Jesus' 38 parables deal directly with money. 16 of the 38. 288 verses in the Gospels deal with this subject. That is one in 10 verses in the New Testament. And, uh, And so today, I think it would be appropriate to take some time out and give it a little bit of a treatment. 
I think at some point we've all realised the critical nature of doing our finances well. And sometimes we've only learnt that by doing them poorly. And so I think it's, uh, it's good for us to talk about it. So I want to talk to us. This is the Surrender Series. Now remember what the Surrender Series was all about. That actually it's at points of surrender that our intimacy with God grows. Our intimacy with God is enhanced. It's at points of surrender. That's, you know, in, in one sense, that starts just simply opening your heart to Jesus. You want to get intimate with God? Open your heart to Jesus. Surrender your self-will and God will become very, very close and very, very real to you like that. But then we have this journey of life, everything that we do, when we come to points of surrender, when we come to points of not my will, your will be done, when we can take the high road with that, intimacy increases in our lives. Now, who would agree with that if you've been someone who's walked with with God? Yeah. And so um, I want to talk about our money, surrendering our money, our financial world to God. And Jesus said this in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. I'll read it, but it's a great scripture and a powerful scripture. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is a fantastic servant and a terrible master in our lives. And Jesus was pointing this out. Um, But to understand, I guess, where Jesus is coming from, of course, he's coming from a Jewish mindset. It's not like his teachings came in a vacuum. And it, it would probably pay for us to understand what Jesus' mindset from his Jewish perspective would have been on what we do with our finances. Of course, we we talk in a general sense about tithes and offerings, but when you actually look at the Jewish background to that, it's just not quite as simple as tithes and offerings, especially the tithe. And I think this is it's helped me incredibly personally when it comes to understanding my finances is to understand some of these principles, but more than that, the heart of God behind these principles so for for jewish folk that there was a number of different ways of expressing the tithe the first one was the Massah rishon which was basically a gift to the levites it was given to those that served the temple because they weren't working for themselves they weren't building their own business they were building god's business It was that simple. And I guess in a sense, that tends to be the the, the tide that we just talk about in church. That's what keeps ministry flowing in God's house. But then there was a a second tithe, which was uh, uh, not every year. It was uh, four years out of seven years. And this was 10%, talking the tithe, we're talking 10%. This was the uh, Massah Shani, which was the tithe literally to yourself and they were to use it in a and in, in, I'll clarify this a little bit later because a very different economy and a very different society that they lived in but basically this was to party on this was to go up to Jerusalem and celebrate the feast and blow it on great food and gather with the whole nation and if you couldn't do that then to gather in your communities that was the Massah Shanoi. And then there was the 
Messiah, another one. Now that was, that was given on a sabbatical cycle, the first, second, fourth and fifth years of a seven-year cycle. And they saved it up for themselves. So basically it was savings to party. Does that sound good to anyone? Okay. Um, Listen to this. Those who are secure financially get to party. There's the principle. Those who actually can save are the ones who get to enjoy the benefits of a life well lived. That's the thought. And then there's the uh, Massah Anai. And this was a tithe to the poor. This was practiced on the third year and the... uh, Uh, sixth year of that sabbatical seven-year cycle as they cycled through and this was given to the poor this was for the needy and then in the last year there was uh, uh, a a sabbatical rest of the land so they actually just lived off the regrowth and they gave the land and what served them they actually gave it Rest. So this whole principle of Sabbath was embedded in everything they did, right even into their financial cycle, a cycle of rest. Now, of course, there were other principles that undergirded that. They were told not to harvest the edges of their field. That was so that the poor in that year could actually, or in any year, could actually feed off the corners of their fields. The principle in that was to create a financial margin for generosity to the needy. Okay, as well as the tithe that they gave twice in that seven-year sabbatical cycle. So when we talk about tithing, can you understand what I'm saying? It's a little bit more complex than I give 10% to the church. And the whole point of this, the whole context of this, is where these people were coming from, where Israel had come from out of slavery, their whole context had been slavery you know we've got a we've got a saying i looked it up in our society hand to mouth who's heard of hand to mouth living hand to mouth you know that that was basically came to prominence that term in the 1930s what happened in the 1930s the great depression and so the great depression had people focused on it is all we can do just to survive it's all we can do hand to mouth there is no joy of life in the middle it is just i live to eat and survive that's the whole thought but that has its roots in slavery living hand to mouth so if you think back to israel it started off quite prosperous in egypt until it was oppressed and basically they became a slave nation and an enslaved nation and when you think slave you don't think someone sitting up having a party at their table inviting their friends do you I mean, it's hard for us to think slavery because it's not in our face unless you go looking for it. There's plenty of it out there, but it's not in our face in that sense. But for these people, what that meant, the, the image maybe that our imagination should take on is more someone crouched in the corner of a room guarding a piece of a crust of bread. Okay, so what was God doing? What was the spirit of the tithe, the spirit of giving and generosity. It was to actually break a slave mentality. It was to break that sense of, I need to hold on to everything I've got and accumulate for self, which most of our world still lives with, with the fear of that. 
and God was determined to go, you need to lift your heads and lift your eyes. I am your provider. There will be more than enough for you to go around. Simply honour me in this and I will be your provider. And, and it's linked in scripture in Deuteronomy very, very closely, this whole concept of breaking the slave mentality. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 12, and it says, And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. What were the statutes talked about? The tithe. You will remember you were a slave, and then you will give. Instead of guarding my crust of bread, you will learn to live, you will learn to think, you will learn to be transformed on the inside so that your life becomes a river for others, not just a survival mentality, circle the wagons, it's all about me. And as a slave, it would be very hard not to have that mentality. So the whole undergirding principle of the tithe was to change people's whole view of the world and their view of themselves, their view of their God as their provider and his capability and ability to provide for them and then their view of themselves as people who could hold their heads up in the world because they lived well as their God provided for them. Does that make sense? I think that's that's a framework that has helped me get my head around why I give. And of course, we've got our great friend Shane Willard, who often, you know, he teaches a lot of these Hebrew concepts so much better than I do. But, uh, but really, really simply, he's, he's sort of, one thing that he's taught us about is the connection between righteousness and generosity. The Hebrew word, sadak, to, to be righteous, to stand before God in a right place. And then, the Hebrew word generosity, sadakah, which is just a H on the end because, of course, there's no vowels in that original language. So uh, we put an A there, sadakah, but it's just sadak with a H on the end of it. And that H, which means to reveal. You're righteous, reveal it. You're righteous, show it. You belong to God, show it. Reveal it. Your generosity will reveal it, who you belong to, that whole concept. And again, just destroying a slave mentality. Now, remember that the scripture likens us to slaves. Now, if you were born into church life and you've praised God, what the best testimony ever, I grew up in church and I never stopped following Jesus then this might not feel as pertinent, but for any of you who are first-generation Christians like me, you know exactly what I talk about when I say I was once a slave. A slave to this world system, a slave to my own lusts and desires, a slave to all of that stuff, and Jesus set me free. And now I have right standing with God through him. And what I give does not change that one iota. All it does is reveal it. All it does is put it on display. You're all looking at me real quiet, but I know it's the masks, isn't it? I know on the inside, you're all going, yeah! Okay, so I better, I better tie this up. 
When we talk about the spirit of it, this is what I think Jesus was getting at when he, he went to the scribes and Pharisees. He said this, he affirmed the tithe, but he, it, was, it was about something much deeper than that. In Matthew 23, 23, it's one of those places where he rails at you know, the religious leaders and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. So basically, they're the smallest herbs. He's like, you split hairs, which apparently they did. Apparently, they would actually literally go. Can you imagine going to a mint bush? Who's got mint? It goes nuts. Don't turn it loose in the garden. It'd be the worst thing that ever happened. But they used to go, and literally every tenth leaf, pull it off. And so Jesus is saying, you do that, you, you, you get down to the jot and tittle of what it is to be, in a sense, financially generous and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So Jesus ties what we do in a very practical, physical sense with our resources straight to our own hearts. It's like, how could you actually be physically tithing and miss the spirit of the tithe? This is meant to have changed your heart. You now just see it as some external observance. This is what I do because I'm religious. Whereas actually what I've been trying to do is break something on the inside of you where you have a compassion and a generosity that flows out in mercy and justice and faith that God will provide. And of course, these people had made themselves the judges of all things, had become the exact opposite with their attitude. They weren't generous. They weren't free-spirited. They'd just become slaves to a different master and we need to be careful I think in our society we can be the same where we can go through the motions and we can do that stuff and we we can be a good tither but still be bound to this world system still be bound to anxiety and fear still be tight-fisted and hard-hearted Because even though we might go through the motions, it actually hasn't changed the spirit and attitude of how we see life. And that pours out not just in what we might do in a practical sense. That shows itself in our attitudes. That shows itself in our judgments of situations. That shows itself in the generosity of our words and how we will affirm, how we'll believe in someone, even when they fail us or hurt us, how we're actually generous towards them in grace. And that's when you know that, hey, the tearing every tenth mint leave off or whatever, it's actually worked its way into your spirit. This is sadaka. This is generosity, sadak, revealed. Oh, sorry, this is righteousness, revealed. There it is. Wow, what God asks of you has come to the surface it started starts on the inside works its way out the whole thought of the tithe was to develop a spirit of generosity put aside the slavery put aside the slave mentality put aside being a servant to money be a servant of God who uses money 
rather than a servant of money who uses God when it's convenient. Are you okay out there? In this context, Malachi 3.10 is still great advice. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out such a blessing that there will not be room to receive it. There is a tremendous promise attached to moving in the principle of the tithe. Can I put it that way? Rather than say giving 10%. Because it is just more than that. We miss the point. You know, someone who says, uh, well, I just give my 10% to the church. You've missed the point. Someone who says, well, I just give to my pet projects. (laughs) You've missed the point. Someone who says, well, I just hang on to all my money for myself. You've definitely missed the point. Okay. This is actually about developing a different spirit to the slave mentality we had under the rule of Pharaoh, under the rule of a wicked king. We've come out from under that and all those devilish things come to a place or should migrate to a place with the spirit of freedom, our righteousness on display. Money does not have a hold on me. I might hold money, but it doesn't hold me. And then, of course, there's offerings, tithes and offerings. And they're a whole other thing. To me, the offering, whatever it is, whatever it's towards, it's always about moving in faith. It's like the farmer who sows seed. You know, I, I watch farmers. I've got the privilege of watching them. And I know this, that if they, if they sow one of those big uh, bulk bins of seed, they're not expecting to harvest that much. I mean, any farmer would be ripped off. If, wouldn't they, Rose? If you sowed one of those big bulk bags, you know, the big white bags, big bulk bags, sow that into, a, you know, 50 acres or 40 acres of... Uh, and if you actually had a harvest and you just got one of those big bags back off it, that's why people stop farming. But when they sow it, they sow it in faith that they'll actually receive an increase. They'll have a silo full of grain at the end of it and that's the principle of the offering is moving the tithe changes us from the inside out the offering is the potential for God to change our world from the outside back in does that make sense and so we sow in faith in that way believing for increase tithes and offerings so you know the church tithe look I've never had a problem encouraging people to do this because we got a revelation of it thankfully I mean for me I was saved I think two weeks I'd came to Jesus had no idea what money finances God I mean I used to hold my twin I was Catholic a Catholic kid who used to go to church once a once a year midnight mass to keep mum happy when I became a Christian and I you know I'd hold my 20 cents that tight the queen had a tear in her eye throw it in the plate and walk away and then I then I became a Christian at 21 and I immediately just started to give I was so happy for what Jesus did in my life a couple of weeks later I heard my first ever teaching on the tithe a very simple teaching about just the church tithe and I was horrified I wasn't doing it so I began to practice it Sue and I have practiced it all of our lives in Jesus and uh and God has never let us down 
but I, I have got an interesting story where in, a, in my previous church, I had a guy, family actually, that came into the church and uh, they came in because of the benevolence of the church. They were a, a, a family that had moved to town. He was going to become a, a mature age uni student because he had a workplace injury and he couldn't continue in his previous job. So they moved to town and when they got to town, they had a, a family, like a large family of small children and they had pretty well nothing. So, you know, the, for the li- first little while that they were in the town, the church was literally feeding this family. And because of that, he ended up coming to church. He had a Christian background. But he came to church and he gave his life to Christ. And, uh, and they began to grow. And he became one of the greatest blessings in my life in that season of my life. He and his family. He is still, to, in my mind, one of the most pure-hearted guys I've ever met. And they got 100% behind us as a family as we grew that little church from 11 people up. And um, uh, got 100% behind me. And one day I taught on tithing. And he came and saw me after the message. And he said, um, he said, Pastor Chris, you know that we're behind you. You know, we are 100% with you. And I said, yep, I know that. And he said, but I can't afford to tithe. And, uh, you know, everything within me just wanted to pat his back. This is a good guy and a good friend. Everything within me wanted to just pat his back and say, they're there, don't worry about it. But I felt like the Holy Spirit really it wouldn't let me do it. He wanted me to challenge him. And, and I literally gave me the words to speak. And I said, it's all good, but I want you to agree with me. It's not that you don't have the money to tithe. It's that you don't have the faith. And that was a very difficult moment, a pivotal moment in our relationship. I mean, he looked like a little puppy that I just kicked because he was a friend and he was a good guy. And he went away and about a week later, he came back with his wife and they said, we've decided to take up the tithe challenge. We're going to give out of what we have and we're going to trust that God can do more with the 90% than what we can do with the 100%. And that's a term I still use in my preaching today and it came from them. And they took that faith step and over the next five or six years, I saw them become an absolute testimony of what can happen when you put God first in your finances. Instead of just struggling and and trying to make their way, he ended up getting chutes well before probably most people would be given opportunities to teach and being paid to teach and do tutorials and all of that stuff. And he really worked his way through university so well, ended up coming out, getting a great job locally, a great high-paid job locally, and was just blessed incredibly. And in that season... Whenever I ask someone to give a testimony for giving, he was quite happy to step up. But it took faith to see, not just to put money in a plate, it took faith to see God differently. And it took faith to see himself differently. To actually believe, you know what? I can be just like my Father in heaven. I too can be generous and I will be blessed for it. So I've never had a problem. When it comes to your tithe, I wouldn't suggest blowing it all on a party. We live in a different society. But boy, I'd suggest saving. I'd suggest saving. You know, if you, uh, you get two people, start saving in the same year. One's 20 years of age, one's 30 years of age. They both start saving at retirement. The person 
who is 20 will have more than double the amount of money in the bank than the person who is 30. Even though they didn't contribute, it's out of proportion. They didn't contribute as on that same proportion. Why? Simply because of compound interest. Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. Compound interest. Interest on your interest. In other words, free money. So what's the thought behind that second tithe? Start saving as much as you can, as soon as you can. Take responsibility for your life and you will be able to celebrate a life well lived. Don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. Should be a percentage of our income. You know, for us here at New Hope, that probably means missions and community care. But whatever you do, allow Allow this whole principle of sadaka to permeate your life where you see the needs of others, where you can't walk past need that you can potentially help. But you live a life that's generous towards God and towards people. Does that make sense today? That is the principle of the tithe. Develop a generous lifestyle. Break a slave Mentality that is in fear of the not enough and begin to move in the river of God. Begin to flow with his principles and see God do miracles in and through you. Money should be our servant, not our master. Amen. Come on, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions as we close. Am I giving my tithes and offerings out of a sense of obligation or as a means to develop a generous lifestyle? Why am I giving? Why, why am I doing it? What's the motive? Am I developing a generous lifestyle or do I just see it as a box I should tick? Don't be like the scribes and Pharisees who missed the spirit of the teaching. Second question is... Am I open to handling all my money in a way that glorifies God? Am I open to that? Or do I have, is my life petitioned? Or am I open to operating the whole principle of the tithe? Last question, probably, it's very simple, but it's probably the most penetrating one is, what's closest to my heart, God or money? I think ultimately that was the question and that, that, that's the question Jesus is talking about when he says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's exactly what he's talking about when he says you can't serve money and God. What's closest to my heart? And, and am I willing to allow God to develop that spirit of generosity that flows not only through my finances but through my attitudes, through, through my judgments, through my language, through my decisions, so that I might reflect my Father in heaven. You you okay? How about we pray, eh? Why don't we just pray? Father, help us to honour you in every way. Help us to develop lifestyles, hearts, spirits that reflect yours. Your word says that you love this world so much that you gave help us be like you 
Father, for those that need to take a step of faith today, maybe for those that have been struggling and fearful, I pray you'd visit them. Bring reassurance and bring faith. Cause faith to come alive again, to see you do amazing things in Jesus' name. And you know, maybe you're here today with us and, uh, and maybe you've actually never received the generosity of God. I've talked a lot about generosity from our angle. But maybe you've never received the generosity of God. I quoted a scripture just, just then as I prayed, John three sixteen. God so loved this world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And maybe you're here today and you just realize, you know what? Maybe I need to receive God's generosity. You simply do that. It begins by opening your heart to Jesus. So if you're here with us today and you'd say, Chris, I need to experience what God has for me today, then that would be totally appropriate. And right where you stand, right where you are, you can maybe say the simplest of prayers. Just say, God, I need you. I need what you have. I need Jesus. So I open my heart to you. Come into my life. Help me to know what it is to follow Jesus. You know, just pray in some simple way. Just take this moment, if that's you, and you just recognize, I actually need God right now myself. Pastor Sue's going to let you know what you can do next. Can we thank Chris this morning?